everyone, and welcome to Tap the Craft, an educational podcast hosted by two craft beer enthusiasts, where we talk about craft beer in terms the everyday beer drinker can understand. My name is Denny Luce, and I'm joined by my co-host and drinking buddy, John Ream. John, how are you doing tonight? I gotta be honest, I'm a little disappointed in myself. Uh-oh. I, uh, I realized that I went to bed too early last night, mm. and uh, I could have had an extra hour of beer drinking. But instead, ah. I wasted that on sleep. Okay. So. Okay. Well, did you? Weren't you not up? Uh, you know, trick or treating all night last night. Uh, no, it was pouring down, <laughs> like torrential downpour all day. Really? It was awful. Um, we didn't take the kids around the neighborhood at all. Um, because we would have been drenched by the time we got to the end of the driveway. It was so. Really, by the time we got to the driveway well, from the front door. Yeah, but that's what umbrellas so, are for. I, it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> that's, oh. it, it was so windy and rainy, uh, it, it just wouldn't have worked. So uh, they had some fun in their costumes, though, in the house. <laughs> some, some friends came over and kids played. So it wasn't a total loss. But, okay. You know. Okay. Well, did, I mean, did they get to do any... Like pre trick or treating at the mall or at church or anything like that, where they got to you know actually get to enjoy some candy and to you know go goof around at all anywhere. Yeah, we did a thing inside at our church. Mm-hmm. They got a little bit of candy, um, but uh, you know on the plus side, we didn't have hardly anybody attempt to come to our house, so we still have all of our candy. Ah, okay. You know, it's probably a wash in the end. Okay. <laughs> in okay. terms of candy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, you know, the kids don't need all that candy, but, you know, just a few. It just gets them excited when they can, you know, oh, go, yeah. go ask for candy and actually people give it to them. That's <laughs> yeah. We have new brides now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how's the uh, last time we talked? You were just starting the potty training. Is it going better now after another week has gone by? It, it was going phenomenally. And uh, he had like three straight days with no accidents. And now we're kind of coming off the rails again. But we'll, we'll get him straightened out. Okay. And, uh, get back on track. All right. That sounds good. That sounds good. Well, if you've paid attention to our conversation so far, you'll know that we're recording this episode a day after uh, Halloween. So we're on November 1st. And why are we recording just such short time after we recorded our last episode or last episode was released is because I I just realized that I have to travel and there's no way that I'm going to be able to get a episode recorded and edited and everything during the time that I'm going to be gone. So John and I are going to record a little bit early and we're going to get this thing out to you on time on the Thursday that it's supposed to release. But Due to that, we are recording on November 1st, 2015, and in this episode, oh, and it's episode 34, just in case you guys want to remember that we're 34 episodes in, and we're going to focus this episode on the style guidelines for the American Strong L, all about that big, strong L flavor. You know, the old arrogant bastard is, you know, you hear American Strong L, what do you think of American Bastard? So we'll talk about what makes up this style guidelines, and we're also going to look at an article that was written by uh, a blogger that went and and, uh, visited Tin Barrel Brewing to find out the story of how they're doing months after the acquisition from AB InVev. A very interesting article we'd like to talk about, and 
Of course, we've got a few listener questions that we'll be discussing, like always. So before we get into all that awesome content, you know what? Uh, I'm feeling a little dry. I need to wet my whistle. But you, John, are you drinking something tonight? I am. Uh, you know, I decided to keep it a little simple tonight. So I'm going just with a classic Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And, you know, it's hitting the spot. Okay. I, I looked at a couple other things and just I was feeling something lighter, I guess. Okay. So All right. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, well, you know, I'm also good doing something different than what we've been drinking in the past, but I'm kind of doing a similar drink. I'm, it's that time of the season where Full Sail Session Lagers goes and releases their Session Fest lager. And I'm drinking a couple of those Session Fest tonight. Uh, very, very tasty, very, um, a lot more malty than the, the standard session lagers have. And I really, uh, I mean, I, I enjoy that extra malt flavor, that biscuity, doughy, uh, malt, uh, you know, flavors come out in this beer. It's, it's really good. Now, John, you have had the Session Fest in the past, right? Or have you not had this one before? I think this is one I'm still chasing. Okay. So well, I'm going to mix up this one and the foreign export. Okay, the foreign export is awesome, by the way. You got to get that export lager if you can. But this one's great too. So go out right after we record and go pick up <laughs> half case of this before it's all gone because it won't last long. So you got to yeah, make it quick. I, actually, I know it's not in our stores right now because I check the session area every time. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I'll, I'll still stay vigilant, but. <laughs> Okay, no problem. All right, John. Well, now that we're told our listeners what we're drinking tonight, how about, uh, I know it's a short amount of time from our last recording to now, but were there any noteworthy beers that you were able to try that you want to uh, you know, provide some insight on to our listeners and to myself? Sure. Uh, so I got a couple IPAs uh, that I've had here tail end of this week. And uh, so the first one I'll talk about is... Uh, Deschutes Fresh Hop, uh, yearly Fresh Hop offering, uh, Chasing Freshies, uh, which I managed to pick up at the bottle shop last time I was there. And uh, <clears throat> on the bottle, it says it's featuring uh, Lemon Drop, mm. uh, which is a newer hop variety mm-hmm. um, that does have some lemony notes um, based off its name, but gives some some citrus. And uh, I really enjoyed the beer. Uh, I was a little disappointed in the aroma. It was kind of muted. Um, and I confirmed that with uh kristen also had some of it she she also liked it but thought the aroma could be there but she had the flavor made up for that um but it, it was a very flavorful ipa um maybe we both happen to be stuffed up i don't know but <laughs> um yeah it, overall it was good and I, i'd recommend picking it up and that one should have uh at least semi-broad uh dis- distribution i would think okay so then the other one I want to talk about uh, is from two beers, which we've talked about over the last couple episodes, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Because uh, we, we visited there when you were here in Seattle. And they uh, just did a release on Friday, uh, this past Friday, uh, for uh, Wonderland Trail IPA, um, which uh, the Wonderland Trail, for those that don't know, is a 93 mile uh, trail that takes you around the base of Mount Rainier. 
Oh. Um, and it's a popular kind of excursion out here. Uh, you know, it take, takes you about a week, week and a half, depending on your pace. Um, but uh, it's, it's supposed to be really, really great. And it's on my list of trips to do at some point. Um, but they did this beer to and uh, to raise money for the Washington like National Parks Foundation, um, which I think is something I can get behind uh, pretty easily. Um, but uh, so I head down uh, t- to get this, and uh, I was blown away by this beer. Um, it was incredible and had a bunch of my favorite hops in it. It's got an Amarillo, a Citra, <laughs> Mosaic, uh, and a, some good old classic Cascade. Uh-huh. in there um but tons of flavor a great like tropical citrus mm. you know action going on great nose um so i know they're starting to distribute a little more i don't know how broad this one will get um but for any listeners who are in the area of seattle and have not reached out to me yet uh, go <laughs> go get it or if you're going to be here soon um make sure you stop and picks them up because it, it's really good and it, you know, helps a good cause. So yeah, wanted to, to plug that one. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. We do, we are getting some two beers here in the Boise area. And not only that, but we also are now getting the Seattle cider in limited quantities in, oh, here nice. also. Yeah. So, uh, Albertson's, the Albertson supermarket chain, uh, they have the Seattle cider as well as my Brewers Haven had a, a, a couple cans of the semi sweet and the dry. Same thing, the same uh, two varieties were available at the Opperson store too. They're a little expensive though. It's it's ten, no, it was twelve dollars for four sixteen ounce cans. Is that the same price that you're paying in your area? Uh, I've usually only bought them by the can, by the can, um, okay. and so it's probably inflated to at least that amount you okay. go per per can um but i'll have to look i'm, I'm curious now yeah uh, what, it, what it is i mean if you're gonna buy a cider and you want to enjoy it then buy it's worth the it's worth the price i'll buy some for sarah when she runs out of her current supply which which she's almost out she's pretty much drank <laughs> i think all of the pump i think she has she might have one more pumpkin cider left she and she has uh, one of the cans the the dry uh, can that that you provided us also she hasn't she she liked the semi sweet but the dry one was a little bit dry for her so uh, we'll we'll probably split that can so she, you know she'll enjoy a little bit of that but she won't probably be able to drink the whole thing because it is a little bit more drier than she likes she likes the semi sweet type flavors but man I I do love I I'm not a huge cider fan but I'll tell you what I can drink that Seattle cider all all day. And and I I like I like it because it it's not overly sweet and it doesn't give you any kind of the negative uh, head you know a lot of times you drink some sweeter ciders you end up getting a little bit of a headache you know from that from that sweetness or the alcohol or whatever it is I don't know but uh, I have no side effects from drinking uh, you know two or three of these ciders not that I've drank two or three in a row but we did drink <laughs> we did drink a few at when we were at two beers. So uh, I had no ill effects from that. That's good. Yeah, that's good stuff. And I, I don't drink a lot of cider either, but after we were there, I was like, oh, well, now I know where to, where I'm going to go if I, you know, get in the mood. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Denny, so how about you? What have you had this week that uh, you want to spread the word for? Okay, I have had a couple things. Not any, not not anything that's super. Well, probably. Well, I'll say this: the one thing that was super important and special that I haven't had since 2008 was the Stone Brewing 20th Anniversary Encore series of the 080808 Vertical Epic L, a nice Belgian IPA. Uh, ale that is just uh it was great back when they first brewed it in 2008 and i think this is one of those beers that if you were to do the vertical tasting of all the epic you know series of ales that this one was supposed to age really well hell i i never had a chance to taste it age because it tastes so damn good fresh i don't i didn't have a chance to uh you know to age any and i'm i'm thinking that maybe i should grab a bottle of this and try to age it for the three to four years that they were recommend, you know, saying to age it originally. But I don't know uh, if, if I'm going to do that because uh, I don't know. I can't keep it. I'm, I'm afraid I'm just going to pop it open and drink it if I, you know, buy another one. <laughs> uh, did you ever have a chance to taste in the, the 08 Vertical Epic originally or the Encore? Uh, I almost bought the Encore the last time I was at the store, but I mm-hmm. didn't because uh, I already had a bunch of high-priced bottles in my um, carrier. Uh, but I don't believe I had this one. Um, when I was starting to push my horizons a bit, uh, this series was go- was going on you know, mm-hmm. each year with a new beer. And I know I had made an attempt to grab some that had come from years past, but I don't think this was one of them. Um, and I probably would have at that point shied away from Belgian yeah, stuff. Yeah. Cause that wasn't on my, uh, that wasn't really in my wheelhouse yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think I've had this one, but maybe I'll need to try to grab it before it leaves the shelves again. I, I, so. I would say that I, and again, I know you don't like, Belgian IPAs as, as much, but this one is pretty good. I mean, it really, it really has a nice Belgium up front flavor and it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't have that, any of the negative stuff with where it kind of lingers on with the, with the bitterness and, and causes a weird, you know, kind of thing in your mouth. This, this one just is, it's really good. Really, uh, I don't know. It just, I think the the Belgian flavors in this IPA really, uh, you know, really complement the the style, and I like it. So it's one of the few. This one in the Galaxy, I also enjoyed the the Galaxy uh, White IPA. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, if you have the extra nine bucks, I think it's what it costs, ten bucks. Then then go ahead and do it. If not, uh, then don't worry. Uh, it'll be back maybe in the 25-year Encore series. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so that I'll that start putting my pennies away now. Yeah, <laughs> say, yeah, do a little, you know, yeah, save a nickel a day, and you'll be able to afford it by then. So it'll be good. Um, <laughs> that that was probably the the one that the one beer that I really you know stood out to me. Uh, the other one that I don't remember if I've talked about on the show or not. I may have. I have a horrible memory. But it's another beer from Knee Deep Brewing. And you guys know how I was all into Knee Deep when they first started showing up in the Boise area. And this one is their uh, Tanilla. It is a vanilla porter. 
And uh, this is probably one of my favorite vanilla porters. Uh, it just has a great roasted malt porter flavor, uh, you know, malt, malt backbone with a vanilla flavoring in there that just, in, in a mouthfeel that is creamy and just really a nice mouthfeel and a nice body. Uh, I, I really enjoy this beer. So I just had to say that, you know, it came back in, I don't know if, I, I'm assuming it's a seasonal because I think about this time last year it was available and I haven't seen it for a long time and now all of a sudden it started showing back up in the, in the shelves. So I, I picked up a bottle and I really enjoyed that one. I, have you had the Tanilla from Knee Deep or do you even, I know you get some Knee Deep in, in Washington. No, we don't get Knee Deep here. You don't um, get Knee Deep? No, so the only knee deep I've had uh, was what you shared with me and what I bought when I was down in San Diego oh. um, last time. So I I know them for awesome hoppy beers. Yes, um, but uh, it's nice to hear that they can kind of round out the portfolio, you know, with going in a completely opposite direction. Oh yeah, um, from you know, suit, nice big triple IPAs and stuff. <laughs> okay. All right, John. Now you just now I need to save up some of these knee deep beers so when we come meet again, you can have some of the 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 other offerings that they have. They don't have a lot. You're right. Mostly they produce hoppy beers. This is one of the few uh, non hoppy beers that they do, and they do it well. So yeah, I need to get you a bottle of this because I think you'll you'll enjoy it. And I think, and I think your wife will enjoy it too, knowing that she likes vanilla stouts and porters. So, oh yeah, I I know she'll, she would absolutely love something like this. So, okay. All right. Just, uh, send me a a gentle reminder and I'll make sure I pick it up for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, hey, that's our new and noteworthy beers. Just a couple from each of us. Not anything too, too, uh, elaborate, but hey, those are all four of those beers are ones that you guys should probably keep an eye out, see if you can uh, find them in your area and try them. They're, they're worth trying. All right, well, now it's time for our listener question section, and we have a couple follow-up questions from last episode that I thought would be a good opportunity to speak about. And the first one is a follow-up to Matt's question uh, at Jagoosh from Twitter, and he had the question about the gift boxes, or or he had a question about the like gift clubs and and gift boxes. The problem is, is that we focused on the club aspect and we totally neglected the possibility of a gift box. Like some of these breweries put together gift boxes that include beers and, uh, you know, usually a glass. And our buddy Robert at TPS Sponge on Twitter, he, after listening to the show, he wrote in and said, hey, I think you, uh, you missed the boat. You should have mentioned at least, you know, some of these gift boxes that he mentioned. So, you know what? I thought I would just go ahead and uh, just briefly mention some of the gift boxes that he brought up to our attention that might be a good option. If you have a friend that is into craft beer and you want to find a good gift, hey, this might be something you can do. There was four gift boxes he mentioned all together. The first one was uh, Amagang Brewing. They have a Belgian-style craft beer box that includes three bottles of beer and a, a nice glass. And these are Belgian beers. So, hey, if, if, if you know that your buddy likes Belgian beers, then this would be a good option. 
near American Belgian beer. So they're all brewed here in America, but they have the Belgian style uh, characteristics. And I think there was uh, the, the Hennepin was one of them. Uh, there was a chocolate indulgence, which was like a, a dark Belgian strong ale, uh, which I've never had that. Have you had that that uh, chocolate indulgence before, John? No, I actually haven't dove into many Amagang beers. Oh, so okay, it's uh, something I, pr- I should probably correct. Okay, but. okay, and they had the uh, what was the other one? The philosopher, the philosophers. We talked about that on the uh, the. Uh, yeah, the three philosophers. That's the other one. So those are, those are like three really good beers. Uh, I, I've heard of the chocolate indulgence. I just never, you know, I never had a chance to try it myself. I've had the Hennepin, uh, and but I haven't had the three philosophers either. So there's two beers. If I could find that gift box, man, I'd be in heaven. I'd get three <laughs> three good beers and an awesome glass to go with it. So yeah, I'll, I'll keep an eye on for that one. Also, he mentioned another Belgian beer box from St. Bernardus, which is actually in Belgium. So it's a, it's a little bit of a, a international beer collection. It has four beers and also a nice glass to go with it. Uh, and those are all going to be now, now St. Bernardus, it's not a Trappist brewery, is it, John, or is it? Uh, no. It's okay. Not. I didn't think so. I, yeah, not Trappist, but I don't think I've been disappointed by anything I've had of theirs. No. And they're, uh, their holiday, like Christmas time beer is spectacular. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, I have I have to admit that the majority of my St. Bernardus beers, I've actually got when I was traveling to Israel. And I've had them all on tap, which is nice. That's one of the benefits of, 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 of being <laughs> able to go to, uh, you know, to a country over there close by is that they're able to get kegs of the beer. So, um, you know, it's great to be able to to get the stuff fresh right off uh, you know out of the keg. So I, that's I have I don't think I've had a single bottle uh, locally. I don't even know uh honestly, I don't think I've seen a St. Bernard's beer in my area. Uh I'd have to be it'd be I have to look a little closer. I might be able to get at the co-op when they get them in in certain seasonal type situations. So maybe that's uh winter that Christmas one or winter one I might have to look for. When it comes in, the other one he mentioned is a couple uh, California because you know TPS Sponge Robert he is from uh, Southern California, so he had to go ahead and 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 talk about a couple Southern California breweries. The first one he mentioned was Firestone Walker has a win- winter bundle that includes four beers, and Stone Brewing also has a. Uh, a box, and I've had this box. It's the uh, four bottle bastard box, and usually it has arrogant bastard, double bastard. It'll have an oaked version bastard and a lucky bastard in there. So four different styles of of bastard beer from Stone. And I, I'm guessing, John, you haven't had that box because uh, you never had the double bastard before. So. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't had that stone box. I used to get a actually an eight pack box um, oh, wow. of stone stuff uh, when I first moved out here. Um, was, we didn't get a ton of stone when we were uh, back in o- Ohio at the time. But yeah. uh, I've actually I've picked up the Firestone Walker box, um, and that's really good. Um, and it it has uh, the double barrel ale, the Union Jack uh, IPA. Wookie Jack, um, and then also had 
at least last year it had a uh, uh, mocha velvet Merlin. Oh, um, so it had coffee infused stout uh, for that one, which was which was good. I don't I don't know if that's in there again uh, this year or if they're gonna f- switch it up, um, but can recommend that one. Yeah, well. yeah, that's not too bad. And and those boxes usually run right about fifteen dollars, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Both the the Firestone Walker and the 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 stone boxes. It's either fifteen to twenty dollars, I think. So, yeah, it's in that range. Yeah, it's not it's not too bad. And you get you get some really good beers. So those are those are four options that I'm I'm gonna say that you know maybe the Saint Bernardus might be difficult to find a, across the nation, but the uh, and maybe the Ama Gang might be tough too. But the Stone and the Firestone Walker, hopefully you'll you know you'll be able to find those more than just outside of the Northwest area. <laughs> I'm hoping. Yeah. <laughs> so another question that we had uh, that we had had reached out after doing our pumpkin tasting is uh, you know want to know. What is your guys' favorite pumpkin beers? And we got a few responses. Uh, Tim Price, he uh, enjoys the Anderson Valley Fall Hornin, which I know we've talked about yeah. um, before uh, and, and enjoy. Uh, Chris McKenzie uh, also responded uh, with a few, so he really enjoys uh, this season. Uh, <laughs> he, liked, he likes the uh, Southern Tier Pumpkin and also the Southern Tier Warlock, mm-hmm. uh, which is their like Imperial Stout Pumpkin. Yeah. Um, which sounds right up my alley. I think that'd be one that I'd really enjoy. I don't think I've had that, though. Mm. Uh, and then he also says the Flying Monkey Paranormal, which I am not familiar with at all. Yeah, I actually had to look that up because I never heard of Flying Monkey before. It's, and it's an Imperial Pumpkin Ale. That's all it said it, it was. So it, it, I'm guessing in same the same realm as the pumpkin type stuff. Ah, so so Chris likes his big pumpkin beers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's not messing around. <laughs> uh, and then Robert, uh, TPS Sponge on Twitter, uh, likes the Epic and DC Brow uh, collaboration uh, fermentation without representation. Yes, yes. And, so. and he brought up a point. He asked me which one. When I said that I liked the fermentation without representation, uh, he said, well, which one? Is it the regular or the DC Brow? And honestly, I thought the DC Brow was the only one they did. I didn't realize they had – They, I think they released a, just a regular one later on. And uh, I said, of course, the DC Brow one. That's the one that, that I uh, lean to and what I've had the most of. So I haven't even had the regular one, so I need to go find that. And I'm going to be going to Salt Lake Next week, well, the week after, well, the week of the, that this recording is being done, is being released, I will be in Salt Lake. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to get it straight from the brewery, uh, if I'm, if I'm lucky. So I'll, I'll give that a, a try. All right. Well, you know, talking of Robert TPS Bunch, he also asked a question this week and, uh, he asked at beer tastings that you have attended, does your tasting glass get rinsed after every tasting? And if not, does it affect the way you taste and judge what you're tasting? And man, that's a good question. That is a really good question. And I'll be, I'm going to, I'll just answer mine first. And honestly, I will try to rinse it out if I have something, if I'm going to 
like mixed styles and I'm going to have something that's like drastically different or something I had really sour and I'm going to go something that's not sour, I will rinse my glass out if they have rinsing areas available. But if like when I was at the Hoptober Festival, uh, because most of the beers I was drinking were already hoppy uh, IPAs and beers, between those beers, I did not rinse my glass out, but between those and pumpkin and those and sours and things, I did rinse my glass out. But because they only had one rinsing station, you know, I wasn't going to go make a trip there every single time I went to go try a beer. So I, I took the lazy route. And did it affect the tastings? Um, no, I don't think it affected the tastings of, of the of the hoppy beers because, they, you know, hoppy is hoppy. Uh, but I think if I wouldn't have rinsed it out between the pumpkin spice beers and maybe, you know, something else that spices would have probably overlapped and would have uh, affected what I was tasting. So, John, what about you? Are you a diehard? You rinse your glass out every single tasting or do you do something kind of, you know, like what I do in between, depending on the style? Uh, well, I will say that depending on where you are, some breweries are very adamant about rinsing your glass. Mm. Um, when we have a lot of festivals here that, um, depending on who you go to, it doesn't matter if you just rinse your glass, they're going to rinse it again. Wow. Uh, they want to make sure that, you know, what you're getting from their brewery, uh, is as, you know, untainted as possible. Okay. Um, at, at an event, you know, like that. Um, and I always appreciate that. Uh, but, um, I'm more similar to you. Uh, I don't go out of my way to rinse my glass every time. Um, you know, if I just had a big Imperial stout and I want to go try, you know, some lager, then I'm going to go <laughs> rinse it out. Cause I'll, I'll definitely get some carryover. Um, but if, uh, I'd say for the most part, uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, if you're doing a good job emptying your glass every time, <laughs> uh, you're going to just have a really small amount of residual liquid in there and you're going to get uh you know four to six ounce fill in there so mm -hmm. uh percentage wise it's not going to be that great if there's a huge you know flavor disparity or something that's really strong in the glass already i'll definitely go out of my way to to rinse it mm -hmm. um but you know another little trick is uh even without a rinsing station i know some places have official rinsing stations um Another thing you can do is just go to a water station um, where they have, you know, water available to drink mm -hmm. and just splash some water in there, swirl it around and knock it back. And you'll kill two birds with one stone, rinse your glass and get some H2O in you to keep yes. strong at the festival. So awesome. that's my little pro tip. Yeah, awesome pro tip. I was going to say that's. That is actually an awesome pro tip. You get to rinse your glass and hydrate yourself with some water. So, hey, hey, I'm going to use that because normally I will just rinse it and then dump it. <laughs> but uh, but now maybe I will rinse it and swallow it, and then I know that I have uh, at least some H2O in there that will help me. Yeah. Good. Yeah, so another question we had uh, was from Chris McKenzie at Chris McKenzie. 82 on Twitter, and he asked, what does attenuation mean in reference to brewing beer? And I'm going to guess that Denny wants me to take this one. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I told I told Chris on Twitter. I answered his question, but I told him that we would talk about it on the show. That you would be honored to give your professional. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple ways I can answer this, but I'm gonna go the non geek out way. We're all realize 20 minutes later i'm still talking about it um but uh in in general attenuation basically just means uh the amount of sugar that the yeast has turned into alcohol so um the the higher attenuation of beer it's going to be drier there's going to be less sugar left over um and a lower attenuation means there's more sugar so it's going to be sweeter um in the finish or you know coming across your palate um so uh, that's that's the gist of it. Um, but uh, I'd say in general, from just a, an enjoying beer standpoint, uh, it's not that important. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's it's more uh, dry and sweet. It's more what you perceive, mm-hmm. um, and that's just kind of the you know the science behind or light science <laughs> behind what yeah. causes those perceptions. Um, so. Uh, I wouldn't worry about talking to your local brewer and be like, yeah, what's the attenuation on this? Uh, yeah, this yeah. Unless yeah. you you want to buckle in for uh, a big discussion on it. So. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I think we want to keep it to the low the low science thing. But just to give you some background, John, I made a comment. Uh, you know, he uh, drank an, the Epic Brewing, the Brainless on Peaches, and I don't know if you've have you experienced any of the brainless um series from epic brewing john or i have okay have you had the peaches one Uh, i know i've had the cherries okay um i can't recall if i've had the peaches okay the peaches one is very good but it is super super dry and uh i mean what the and i i believe they use champagne yeast right is that one of the yeast they use in the brainless series is that why it's do you remember I think they use champagne yeast. I don't recall. Yeah, and I think that yeast just like eats a eats that sugar and makes the beer super super dry. And he he made a comment, and I don't know if they actually put him in Chardonnay. He made a comment that he could taste a Chardonnay in the in the in the beer. Now, if they use Chardonnay barrels, then yeah, you can definitely probably get some of that Chardonnay. But I'm wondering if he was just kind of getting that same Chardonnay uh, dryness that a Chardonnay wine has, white wine has, with the fact that that yeast just like ate all the sugar out of that beer and made it super dry. And that's where he was getting the Chardonnay feeling from. What do you think, John? Uh, So that beer is aged in French Chardonnay casks. Okay. Um, And, uh, but yes, you're right that the champagne yeast is a very highly attenuating yeast. Yeah. Um, drive things down uh very very well and uh it's actually um pretty common for uh cider making like especially home cider making okay um and actually some breweries use it as a bottling yeast when they oh um, will uh bottle condition a beer because it's not going to add a lot of flavor Mm -hmm. um it's going to be pretty neutral but it's gonna get rid of everything yeah that they don't want in there okay Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, I hope, Chris, that John answered your question to your satisfaction. If not, we will have John put on a full Brew Buzz segment 
on yeast attenuation <laughs> uh, and and use in home brewing because I you know what I am very curious about how you come up with the amount of yeast that you want to use to get your beer just the way it's supposed to be and I think John that would be a great topic one day for us to talk about you know how do you how do you get that attenuation if you want that yeast to eat 50% of that fermentable sugar and leave some of that sweetness in there or 75% or, you know, whatever. I, I think our listeners and myself would love to understand that uh, a little bit more thoroughly. So keep that in the back of your mind as a possible topic, uh, homebrew topic. And I know Devious Mr. Matt, he says he wants more homebrew stuff. And we haven't done any homebrew stuff for like, uh, I don't know, six months or longer. So we need to throw in a homebrew topic for Devious Mr. Matt. <laughs> All right, we can do that. All right. Well, you know, talking about the Brew Buzz segment, let's just go right into a Brew Buzz segment. And this week, we are going to be focusing on the American Strong Ale Beer Style Guidelines as outlined by the Beer Judging Certification Program. And in preparation for our Tasting Notes segment, next episode, episode 34, we're... Five. Thirty-five. Oh, yeah, we're in 34 right now. 35? <laughs> I think I need another beer. Uh, we're going to be doing our next episode is going to be with the Alaskan Brewing Imperial Red Ale, which it's even, even though it's called a, a red ale, it's an Imperial Red Ale and falls into the strong ale category, which we're going to describe for you right now. So you guys have a better understanding of what we're going to be tasting uh, and what you can expect in the tasting for the next episode. So, as I mentioned, this is the the category in the uh, beer judging certification program uh, guidelines is the strong American ale category. But the style within that category is the American strong ale style. And that's what we're going to discuss right now. And the overall impression of this style is it's a strong full-flavored American ale that challenges and rewards your palate with a full multi, with a full malty and hoppy flavors with a substantial bitterness. Wow. That sounds like everything you want in a beer. You if you you know if you you want some malt, you want some hoppiness and you want some bitterness. Hey, if you like bitter things, then this this might be up your style. Uh, the flavors are bold but complementary and are stronger and richer than the average strength pale or amber American ales. So that in general kind of gives you the general expression or impression of uh, what this style is all about. So, John, now that we know in general what it's about, let's go in and, and figure out what we're going to smell in this beer. Yeah, so... We're talking strong, and uh, so you're you're gonna have a medium to high hop aroma, and it's gonna focus on American hops, um, not your English or noble hop varieties. It's gonna be citrus or you know piney resin kind of hops, mm -hmm. um, you know some tropical stone fruit. You know those some of those newer hops would also be appropriate here. Um, but to go along with that, uh, you're also gonna have moderate to bold maltiness. Um, to just kind of prop up those hops, uh, you know, medium dark caramel, um, bready, toasty, 
roast, chocolate. I mean, that all those different things could be in there, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily at the same time, but, uh, uh, is this category is, is kind of broad. Um, so this is one of those that's going to be more open to judge interpretation, um, kind of hitting, hitting the notes and putting together some, some flavors that complement each other really well. Um, but, uh, you can have, uh, clean yeast profile, which is generally um, expected in American style beers, um, usually not looking to get many um, esters, fruity mm-hmm. or peppery kind of thing. Um, but also because it's a big beer, uh, you might get a little alcohol in the nose, um, but it shouldn't be like, you know, mineral spirits or anything <laughs> like that. You know, just, just a little alcohol sweetness um, can be there. Uh, but yeah, not not too hot or harsh. So. Uh, how about the appearance? What what should we look for in this beer, Denny? Well, uh, they you know it's a pale or amber. So what are you going to get? You're going to get a medium amber to deep copper, or even up to a light brown coloring with this beer. Because again, you're going to have those malts in there, and depending on the type of malt you're going to use, you're going to have maybe a little bit darker coloring in there. So look for for anywhere from a medium amber up to a light brown. And you're also going to have a, a good size, you know, medium head uh, with the off-white to light tan. Again, depending on what the malts you're using in there, uh, you, you know, you can either have a lighter uh, head or a dark, a little bit darker tan head. And they say that the head retention uh, it may be pretty low. So you're not going to have, it's not going to have that retention like a stout or a porter where you're going to have a big head that's going to stay there for a long time. You're probably going to have a head that's going to be there, but then dissipate pretty quickly. And the clarity, you're going to have a clear beer and your alcohol level and viscosity may present some legs when the glass is swirled. And John, uh, you explained what legs were before and, uh, could you remind me what it means when you say that the beer has legs? Yeah, so uh, when you have any, uh, like, it's something that is more commonly talked about for wine um, because you, you reach the alcohol levels where this starts to happen uh, more often in wine than you do in beer. Um, but in these stronger um, beer styles, when you swirl up your glass, you may see that... Uh, where from from the peak of where you swirled um you might it it's going to look like the beer has kind of separated itself almost into little legs like, <laughs> yeah i'm trying not to say like but it's like uh, a bunch of little spots where it's running down only in that spot and okay like, it's going to look like there's nothing in between yeah um yeah so uh it, it's it's an interesting thing that you don't see that often in beer um just because you need to get up to a fairly high uh, alcohol level mm-hmm. um so it's it's kind of curious uh you know when you when you do see it okay all right well thank you for that description of, of that I, I, now that you've mentioned that i do remember that's what you mentioned before was that was that little bit of spacing as the beer separates as it's coming down <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned the aroma and of course when you mention aroma uh, you just you describe the aroma. A lot of that same aroma is going to come into the flavor. So why don't we go ahead and talk about what flavors that we expect from a strong American, American strong ale? Uh, yeah. So where the flavor we talked about hops being up front and then the the malt supporting. Um, but 
in the flavor, it's going to be flipped. You're going to have a bit more focus on your malt um, with the hops there as well uh, to kind of balance it out. So you're going to have a medium to high uh, dextrinous malt. So you want you want some sweetness in there. Uh, it can be caramel, toffee, dark fruit. Um, and then you can still get a little bit of the toasty, bready kind of thing going on, um, a low to medium range. Uh, but that's optional. It doesn't need to be there, but it, it can add a little complexity. Um, and then uh, medium high to high hop bitterness. And that that you're going to need that to balance out that sweet malt character that you're putting in there so that it's not overly cloying but uh you know you can still appreciate the sweetness with letting it still be wiped away you know and maybe give you a somewhat sensation of a dry finish even with Mm -hmm. all that sugar in there Mm. and then your hop flavor is going to be moderate to high um same american hops you know citrus resin tropical exact same hop family but here you might actually get a little bit of fruity ester, but I imagine with that could also be confused, I think, with some of the other malt characters, especially if you get some of the more fruity, tropical, you know, stone fruit type hops. I think that that could even come across as thinking it was fruity ester. Yeah. It's not there. Yeah. Again, uh, alcohol, uh, it could be there, um, can be noticeable, but you don't want it to be burning. Where we mentioned chocolate and, and stuff in the aroma. Uh, roasted malt flavor, uh, you you don't really want. It, it could be there. It's maybe a hint in the background, but you know anything too much, and it's going to come across as burnt, and you don't want that in here. But uh, yeah, it's basically you're just looking for some big flavors, but uh, try to keep it in check so that nothing you know lingers too long. Mm-hmm. That's the the basic thing of what you're going for in a beer like this. Mm. As we're drinking this huge beer, uh, <laughs> what is it going to feel like in our mouth? Well, well, as you mentioned, we're hoping it's not going to feel like you're drinking isopropyl alcohol. That would be horrible. So uh, <laughs> we definitely don't want to have that in our in our mouth. But what you will have is you're going to have a medium to full body experience in, in beer, which is, again, you're going to have the big malts. With the hops in there, so you're going to have a, a bigger body than you would if you didn't have so much, you know, stuff in that beer. The Again, you're going to have an alcohol presence. Warmth will be there, but it's not going to be over the top. You're not going to, like you said, you're not going to be, you know, having that experience where your your mouth is burning from, from over uh, alcohol presence. You don't want to have any 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 negative aspect to it. And as far as the carbonation level, it should be anywhere from medium low to a medium carbonation. And, uh, hey, I'm okay with that. I don't really like uh, high carbonated beers anyway. And uh, I think a medium to medium low is just perfect for any beer. Yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, putting all this stuff together, just a really big beer. But we've we've talked about a whole slew of flavors, so it can be really broad in style. You know, when we say it's American Strong Ale in the American Strong Ale category, it seems like a made-up category and subcategory. Um, but to give you an idea what this beer shouldn't be, the other beers in the Amer- Strong American Ale category are Double IPA, American Barley Wine, and Wheat Wine. So from that, you can kind of pick up that this is going to be more of your, you know, double or imperial, like red or amber ales. 
Um, those, you know, those type of beers kind of brought up maybe even a Brown. I don't know if there's now a category for Imperial Brown mm. should, should have looked that up before I <laughs> volunteered that, but that's potentially a, <laughs> uh, uh, something that could be in here. Um, and I guess it said you can get into a light Brown color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the, these things aren't going to be super hot focused, like a double IPA, you know, where you want that, some of that malt sweetness in there. Um, but it's not going to be so malt driven that you get into the barley wines. Um, so you are kind of splitting the difference there between those, those two styles. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so that, that's how, uh, you know, the Alaskan Imperial red, you know, falls into this. Yeah. Um, cause it's, it's way bigger than, uh, you know, a standard red ale. Um, but, uh, you know, not quite happy enough to be a double IPA and not a uh, big, multi barley wine yeah so yeah well as you mentioned john that this this style was uh was kind of came about by modern craft breweries going ahead and trying to develop an imperial strength version of their american amber and red ales and so when, when doing that this style has a lot in common with the historic American stock ales, which are strong malty beers that were highly hopped to keep the you know the beers preserved in uh, in a time of uh, even before prohibition. But there's a couple beers that were created and kind of like uh, maybe were the uh, the frontline beers of this style. And the first one I already mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's Stone's Arrogant Bastard. And the Arrogant Bastard was born out of a batch of pale ale that was mistakenly made with excess ingredients. Thus, when they created this beer, it was, you know, it wasn't, it, it didn't really turn out the way it was supposed to. And uh, there we have, we have, now we have this Arrogant Bastard, which is American Strong Ale that has that huge malt, you know, profile and hot bitterness that uh, if you're, a week of palate you will not enjoy typically. Uh, so yeah, it was kind of an interesting thing that, that, uh, a mistake brought a, about a beer that I love myself and I drink, drink a ton of. Um, another one that was kind of, uh, you know, one of the first ones of this st- type of style was the Great Lakes, uh, when they first brewed their Nosferatu, uh, in the late 1990s, uh, it was first called a stock ale. And now they call it an Imperial Red Ale. So it actually kind of changed, um, you know, styles from from back when they first started doing, when they only had stock ale as a style. Now they, they kind of moved it into this American strong ale style. So a little bit of history there. Have you had the Nosferatu uh, beer before, John? I have not. Oh, okay. I, I assumed yeah, you would... I- you would have had My that. Midwest upbringing is failing me right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So, All right. So, uh, you know, if we want to get into some of that brewing or home brewing knowledge, here we go. Pay attention if this is what you want. So, uh, for ingredients, uh, you're going to do uh, pale malt as your base. Um, some some of those extra malts that go into the, giving you that caramel or other stuff, you can medium to dark crystal malts would uh would give you some of those nice lasting flavors and g- give you some of those stone fruit and uh, uh toffee flavors as well the hops american citrus or piney hops which we talked about so 
you know, things like we mentioned a lot, like Simcoe, Citra, you know, Amarillo, a lot of those, um, you know, big impact hops uh, would be in here. But uh, really anything not English or noble that fits as long as it doesn't, you know, clash with the malt. And uh, generally you're going to use an attenuative American yeast. Uh, That's how it's called out in the guidelines. (laughs) Um, But, you know, even though we say you're going to have some sweetness left in there, those uh, medium and dark crystal malts, the the sweetness that they're providing is actually non-fermentable. So those aren't sugars that the yeast can get to. Um, So you still want something that's going to attenuate really well, eat up all those sugars um, because you're, you're going to have that sweetness left over already from the crystal malt. So if if you didn't have something that was going to attenuate, you'd leave even more sugar behind and you really run the risk of being uh, way too sweet. So, there you go. A little yeah. knowledge. <laughs> and, and, you, and you know what? It's so awesome that Chris, you know, was asking about the attenuation of uh, of beer because it's been mentioned a couple times, you know, already uh, in, in the style. So it's great that now we know that, uh, that yeah, you want to have a, a highly active yeast that's going to eat those sugars, at least all the fermentable sugars. So excellent. Yeah. Well, well uh, we got a round up the uh, discussion by talking about uh, the bitterness and the alcohol levels. And so uh, the IBUs, International Bittering Units, they usually range for uh, American Strong Ale between 50 and 100. And, uh, wow, those are some strong, bitter beers. So you can have – it's it, I mean, it's in the range of an IPA. So basically you're having IPA range uh, bitterness in, in this beer that has a lot of malt uh, – uh, backbone to it also uh so yeah you can expect something that's you know still high bitterness but on the low side and then you have some stuff that's on a high bitterness that's on the high side with the uh, 100 that's, that's fantastic and the alcohol by volume it can be anywhere between 6.3 and 10 percent is what the range usually falls with then so again uh it, you know it's going to be a, a a very high gravity beer that you're going to be drinking all those malts uh, sugars are going to be, you know, f- fermented out of there with the yeast and, and turned into some great alcohol for you to enjoy. And just a few commercial examples that they provide. Uh, the Bear Republic Red Rocket Ale, which I have had that one. It's fantastic. I, I do enjoy that beer myself. I the, agree. Yeah. The Great Lakes Nosferatu, which neither John nor I have tried. So uh, we can't talk to that one. The Terrapin Big Hoppy Monster, which sounds fantastic, and I have not tried that one. Have you had that one, John? No, but I also like the name. Yeah, great name. <laughs> the Port Brewing Shark Attack Double Red. Wow, these are very uh, uh, unique names. And the, of course, Stone Arrogant Bastard, which I have drank probably at least a keg worth myself, uh, <laughs> if not more. <laughs> <laughs> So that uh, pretty much sums up the American Strong L. John, do you have any last words of wisdom for our listeners on this? Yeah, I, I don't know. I I, I like these kind of categories uh, actually because it you know gives a little more creative room mm-hmm. for the brewers. Yeah, um, uh, kind of let loose a bit, um, especially now a lot of 
a lot of IPA stuff has kind of been, well, you, you need this kind of character out of the hops and mm-hmm. you know, uh, anything else is going to be dinged. Um, so I kind of like these things that give you a little more creative freedom. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and we saw in the great American beer festival this year that there were, I mean, we already know that the most entered categories are IPAs, all the IPAs, but, Remember I mentioned that one of my favorite breweries, Barley Brown's Brewery, that they won the American Strong Ale category. I I think that's right. If I'm mistaken, I'm, I apologize. But I think they won the American Strong Ale category for an IPA. So even if you have an IPA that falls into these you know, guidelines, you can still win the category. Now, was I totally off, John? Do, do you remember? Uh, I think... I think they had strong pale ale was the category. Oh, okay. Never mind then. Strong pale. So just uh, wipe that out. But hey, it's still a, a broad enough category that allows for you know anything from a. Well, but you know what? They even said that there could be. Uh, I mean, even this could be a a, a pale a strong pale ale. Even in, at six point three, you could have a pretty strong pale. I don't know. I have to look and see if there's actually a strong pale L. What what is this thing? BJCP, <laughs> BCJP. I, I, I don't think that exists from the BJCP. Okay. Um, okay. I think the Brewers Association category, uh, and I just confirmed it was American style strong pale. Okay. The, the Ratchet Strap IPA. Okay. All right, Ratchet Strap, and, and um, I just had uh, one of their. So I had the Pallet Jack IPA um, also this week, and it was it's fantastic. My the the hops, or I mean, just in really really good. Um, I don't know, just the hop profile was fantastic. So uh, go get yeah, the Pallet Jack too. That won gold in 2014 for Fresh Hop Ale. Did it? So, yeah, they wow. actually won two golds, a silver and a bronze in 2014. So I, I'm telling you, this brewery is fantastic, and I I hope that it, you know, I I don't wow. hope it I don't hope it gets picked up by AB InBev, but if it did, maybe more people will be able to taste the great beers. So just yeah. saying. So, so I'm just scrolling through there. They have an awards page on their website, and in 2013, they won very small brewing company of the year at great at GABF three golds, a silver, and a bronze. 2012, three silvers and a bronze. Wow, <laughs> I mean. They're bringing it. So yeah. 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 Take it out there. Yeah. We got to get, you know what? Maybe we need to take a, when you come out, we need to take a road trip and it's only two hours away from where I, where I live. So we, we need to go take a road trip and drink from the brewery. So you got to stay, right. you got to stay for like a long weekend, like three days so we can drink all the beer in Boise and go drink beer in Oregon too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I accept. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, that was our Brew Buzz segment. And I hope you guys were now have a better understanding of the American Strong Ale category and style. And now we're going to move right into our Check It Out segment. And this episode, we're going to discuss an article that I read about the – well, actually, it was from the Northwest Beer Guide blog. And I'll have a link in the show notes for you to directly link to it. So if you want to read the article, I recommend that everyone go out and read the article. That's why we're, this is a check it out segment. But 
because we want to give you guys a little bit of background on the article uh, and we want to talk about it, we'll go ahead and, and do a little bit more uh, discussion on it. And basically, this, the article is called After the Sale to Budweiser, a 10-barrel brewing company postmortem. And this article is basically a follow-up to the huge media and craft beer industry blow-up from the announcement of the 10-barrel brewing selling out to Big Beer to selling out to AB InBev. And, uh, you know, his concern was, hey, all this stuff went on and, uh, you know, all the reactions of uh, consumers who are craft beer uh, lovers and the, the, the rest of the brewery, uh, craft beer brewing industry, you know, everyone had something negative to say about this happening. And, uh, he realized that, hey, you know what? Now months have gone by. After all that big blow up, nobody has said anything. Uh, what's going on? And he hasn't, he hadn't heard any news on whether the brewery has changed drastically since that or, you know, what was going on. So he took it upon himself to go and, uh, visit Tim Barrel in Bend and find out what exactly it happened. You know, is this brewery now just a big corporate brewery that doesn't necessarily do anything craft? Or is it actually still a craft brewery that is focused on the beer and focused on their employees and the community and everything? So this article is all about that. And he does a really good job of, you know, of, of explaining uh, what happened during the blow up and then where we're at now. And one of the thing is, is, is uh, he identified that there was two types of craft beer drinkers. He's, and I'm going to quote him here. I'm going to read this. He says, most people don't concern themselves with who is signing the brewer's paycheck, only that the pint produced is memorable. I, I like that. That's, uh, uh, that's how I am. I don't, I don't necessarily need to understand who's paying the bills. If it's good beer, uh, I'm going to enjoy it. For the most part, he says, yet there are some who do concern themselves with who is paying for the grains and the hops. This is what is meant. Or this, is, this is what means to be a craft beer philosopher, supporter versus a general beer drinker. It requires adherence to a philosophical dogma of only supporting privately owned craft breweries. Often this leads to a perception of snobbery by those who are content to enjoy a Bud Light or a Blue Moon. And so that kind of, you know, it kind of goes to a little bit, shows the two extremes maybe. The guys that that just like to drink good beer and the guys that only want to have that purest type behavior where, hey, I want to drink my craft beer from the guy that, you know, that is uh, every day he goes home and he's got to figure out how he's going to, you know, pay for medical for his kids or pay the bills or whatever, you know. Uh, I mean, that's a two extremist. I, I don't know if I need to have that much of a purist uh, craft beer love. I don't want to be a snob. I was I was probably a snob before, but I think I've mellowed out of the snobbery. <laughs> I think we both fall more in the first camp uh, there. Yeah. More about what's in the glass than – you know, the other, the other stuff. Yeah. Because really, I, I mean, personally, I feel like, you know, if you're not doing the, the right things in the production of the beer, what ends up in the glass isn't 
going to be memorable. Yeah. So it works itself out. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, so yeah, so you list out all the uh, craft breweries that have that have sold. Um, you know, Goose Island, Elysian. Is it Blue Point? Is that the one out? Yeah, in Blue. Yeah, or, Blue Point. Yep. Now Golden Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then yeah, I'll, we'll re- I'll read another passage. It says. Uh, from the majority of America, these purchases have generated a collective shrug, while an adamant minority vowed to never set foot in any local brewery owned by AB. Uh, some even went as far as driving past places like Ten Barrel to offer them a single-fingered gesture. <laughs> uh, others walked into a brewery's public house, purchased a 22-ounce bottle of beer, and proceeded to empty the contents on the floor as they exited the building. <laughs> um I'm sure those people in that last category didn't realize they were supporting the brewery by buying, buying a beer. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that people get to that state. I, I don't really understand that at all. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know. It, I know people got really worked up, but mm-hmm. I, I can't think of what, what would motivate you to go, you know, just, make a it's like it's like uh you know trashing your hotel room yeah um, like why <laughs> what's the point I, I i don't know um do do you i don't know see into that at all or no, understand I, I don't i don't understand but you know what i don't understand a lot of what motivates people to you know i guess this is the way that they're being activists against this type of behavior but it's 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 not, I mean, it's just a negative thing. The way they can be an activist is to, or maybe it wouldn't be an activist at that point, it'd be a pacifist, is just to not go and, and buy their beer anymore and not say a word. Just by their actions not doing it, th- they can make a statement. But instead, they feel yeah, they oh, need to make a statement. with your wallet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You. But but instead, they need to they need to be... You know, make you know go out of their way to be more disruptive to to things, and I just don't find that uh, beneficial to anyone. You know, it, it, everyone has their reasons of of why it was done, and you either accept it or you don't. And if you don't accept it, then just move on. You can make all your your angry posts uh, at the time when it happened, and then then it's forgotten. Uh, but you don't need to. I mean, you can drive by and flip them off if you want. I don't care about that, but. Come on, going going and and dumping a beer or going in there and saying something or I mean that's just going a little bit on the extreme side for me, honestly. Yeah, and you know what? This is America. If we're if we haven't learned anything, if you're if you're gonna dispose of their beer like that, you got to fill the harbor with it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so um, so now uh, the author, uh, you know, months later after the announcement. That tin barrel uh, was going to be, uh, you know, sold out to ABM Vev. The author realized that hey, no updates to this story have been made, and he said, "I'm going to make a trip to Bend. I want to find out what's really changed. Has everything gone to crap? Is this brewery just another corporate clone that doesn't care about anything? You know, has the beer changed? Uh, is people are people not buying their beer?" Are, you know, what, what's going on? He wanted to find out the real story because nobody else reported on it. No big articles or anything. Once the, the news was done they, and broke and all the havoc, nobody went back 
to go and, and find out. And this, this small little blog, he went to find out the answer. Okay, so he made a trip to Ben to find out how the acquisition affected how the beer was being made and how it's changed the operation of the brewery and their brew pubs. And also, quoting here from the article, he says, From the beginning, the brewers and owners were given assurances that almost nothing would change at their three breweries. If any changes were made, it would be to the current way the business was executed. This included access to greater quantities of hops, barley, and assistance with research and development of new recipes. Unfortunately, there has been some modifications, mostly in the areas associated with conduct and individual contribution. As in the case of any corporate-owned environment, modifications are made to improve the overall profitability. So there, you know, is, is where we lie. So now it's time to go ahead. The author, in his interviews with the Tin Barrel owners and brewers, uh, he came up with pros and cons of whether or not that statement matches what they said or doesn't match what they said. So uh, here are some of the pros. And, John, uh, why don't you hit the first uh, uh, pros of the uh, the acquisition? Uh, sure. So um, one of the big things is uh, getting a cooperation with AB on ingredients. And, uh, you know, this is one of the tough things for small breweries, uh, especially now with hops and hop shortages that have been going on. Um, you know, you have to contract out. And when you're a brewery that only makes, you know, a thousand barrels a year, uh, you're very low on the pecking order um, in terms of what the hop farm, who the hop farms care about. Mm -hmm. Um you know, because if they piss you off a little bit, that doesn't really hurt their bottom line that much. But <laughs> um, if you upset AB and they decide to move their enormous hop contract somewhere else, uh, well, now you're out of business. Um, so uh, with AB, they got a huge supply network and a lot of pull. Um, so, you know, they can get whatever they need, um, especially hops, um, things like Simcoe, Citra, those type of hops are not easy to get um, mm -hmm. all the time. So, uh, I mean, that that's a big plus of getting, you know, whatever you want to work with uh, mm -hmm. as a, as a brewer. Um, but it also extends to, you know, barrels and there a lot was made out of uh, goose islands barrel program, you know, is I think now the largest in the country. Mm. Um, so uh, 10 barrels also, now able to to acquire a, a bunch of different kinds of barrels, rum, wine, uh, bourbon, um, and uh, the uh, crush beers, right? Mm -hmm. That that's yeah. expanding now, um, yeah. thanks to that. Um, so uh, you know that's definitely definitely a pro. It gives you a lot more freedom. Um, you're not necessarily uh, bottled up by uh, what what you can get your hands on. So yeah, yeah. The uh, I think. The, the biggest thing I've, I found was I love the sour program they have. It's very small. They only do a few. They do the Cucumber Crush, which has won gold uh, at least one year. I don't know if it won gold this year, uh, maybe silver this year. I don't know. But it's a great sour beer. I love that beer. They have an apricot. They have a cherry. They have all kinds of these different sour beers. Well, they are now able – to expand that program and uh, begin bottling these sour beers. 
and they're going to use a similar stubby bottle like Full Sail is using, an 11-ounce stubby bottle. That's going to be their whole Crush series, and I can't wait to be able to get those in, you know, in bottles, and I can I don't have to go get a growler full of them. Now, John, now you can get a bottle of Cucumber Crush and maybe finally taste it. Wouldn't that be great? I know. I was excited <laughs> when I saw that news. <laughs> All right. Well, another cooperation is in the use of the quality control uh, program. And before AB InBev became a part of their business, they uh, did not have a, an, an on-site laboratory to go and test their beers for their quality control. And without a lab, a brewery cannot analyze the, vari- the various uh, characteristics associated with, the, associated with the beer, like color, uh, the aroma, the flavor, carbonation, and the mouthfeel. All these things that, yeah, you can do it uh, subjectively through a person, but there's also labs that can analyze the those characteristics so you have a repeatable beer every time. They didn't have that. In fact... They had to go to another local brewery in their area, Deschutes Brewery, and borrow their lab in order to uh, do the lab work required to release these beers for sale in the U.S. So now, with AB InBev, they are going to, uh, they have access to uh, on-site laboratory that now can do all this work in their own facility which is uh, which is fantastic. That's what they need. They can now uh, be able to closely control their quality uh, as they're ramping up their their uh, uh, production for capacity. So that that's a good another positive uh, outcome from uh, yeah. From not not having to go out out of house to to get it done means you know if you do stumble upon something in your quality control, you can act on it. Yeah. You know, you might, you might send something over to the shoots, but they have a lot of their own stuff going on. And by the time they get to your thing, um, you're past the point of being able to correct a problem. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and you can't, and you can't sample as often too, right? If you're going to some other place, you're not going to sample as much as if you could, if it's in house, right? Cause you're right. not, not going to send, you know, uh, 20, 20 samples of a of a certain beer release over to another lab. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of inconvenient for sure. Uh, and then another uh, bonus is they have access to uh, AB InBev's uh, scientists and all their research and development. And uh, you know, a lot of the studies that we hear about is actually funded by most of the major breweries, both here and abroad, because um, they have the money to do it. Um, you know places like 10 barrel or even some of the larger, uh, you know, craft breweries, they, they still don't have the kind of budget to actually, you know, do scientific research and, um, you know, development of their own malts and mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, I mean, this, this opens up a lot of info that, you know, some of which may have been publicly available, but a lot may have been kept as a proprietary information. Yeah. Um, but now they're under that umbrella, so they they have access to that. Um, and, uh, you know, part of this, you know, AB InBev has a, a lot of stuff under their, um, in their portfolio, and uh, it gives Tenbrell access to things even like uh, cider makers, and mm-hmm. they're actually uh, preparing to do that in the future. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of, I mean, at first when I heard 
you know, a brewery doing cider, the first one I heard of, of course, is two beers, right? I, I didn't know that two beers also had Seattle cider in the same, uh, facility. Uh, and I guess it's, it's, maybe it's not uncommon. I don't know. But now Tim Barrel is also considering doing a cider line and they're using a lot of the, like John said, a lot of the research and development's already been done with, you know, in that area. They can just access it and, and get this thing up and running uh, a lot sooner than they would if they were, you know, doing it on their own without those resources. So it's another benefit for the R&D. Of course, one thing that's always good is distribution. Getting your beer out to a wider audience really helps. And they're starting with Colorado. They're going to uh, start distributing out to Colorado. Uh, Budweiser and Timberwolves also want to continue their expansion into markets beyond the, the Pacific Northwest. And after Colorado, the brewery anticipates to distribute to Northern California before moving on to newer markets. So what's interesting is Tin Barrel hasn't even, you know, they're in Oregon and they haven't even broken into California yet, you know. So this AB InBev is going to allow them to even break into the California market and get their beers, you know, further into into that market as well as further east into the markets that they they haven't got into. So having a big distribution network really aids in getting your beer out there. Yeah, so you know, with larger distribution, you're also going to need more beer to produce. Uh, so, brewery expansion is is one of those things, and I think this is something that happens with pretty much every acquisition mm-hmm. um, because uh, beer is a volume game. Uh, you know, uh, the effort and uh, everything that goes into making um, you know 50 barrels is uh, not much more than it takes to make five gallons. So, the more you can make at once. Uh, the larger your your margins are going to be, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but uh, you know, since since being purchased by AB, Ten Barrel uh, is about to triple their uh, actual facility size uh, to seventy five thousand square feet. They're getting the the property that's uh, adjacent to the brewery currently um, out in Bend. As part of this, it's going to have a upgraded refrigeration refrigerated warehouse. Uh, Upgraded canning and bottling line, uh, dedicated lab, um, as well as uh, you know new administrative administrative space. Oh man, you're rubbing off on me, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, this new brewery, uh, they expect a maximum production of 120,000 barrels uh, by the end of 2016, and uh, currently they're about uh, 70,000 barrels. Mm. So a nice big jump there. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, then we get into the stuff that er- is what everybody's actually afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of this has already happened with Goose Island. I know they're, uh, 312 and I think the IPA are both, uh, produced, uh, by Budweiser. So it's a reproduction of 10 barrels beers by Budweiser. Mm-hmm. And I guess they're, uh, retooling some of their breweries in California to, to be able to produce ales. And currently they, they use lager tanks, which I had to look up currently is <laughs> a horizontal tank, uh, rather than the. Oh, really? All vertical um, fermenters that we're used to seeing. Okay. Budweiser is already uh, helping to produce the uh, Pray for Snow uh, winter ale hmm. um, and their Fort Collins uh, brewing facilities. There we go. There we go. So, uh, 
Yeah, the last the last uh, pro um, is uh, employee benefits, um, which you know, coming into a huge company, they're going to have more resources for for a benefits package, and uh, I guess everybody is now going to have access to health insurance as as part of their continued employment under Amy and Bev uh, umbrella. Yeah. And that's that's not something to be upset about at all. <laughs> no, no, because everyone knows that health insurance is expensive. Yeah, and, and so uh, I mean, and, and nobody, I don't think a lot of people realize that the majority of these craft breweries they don't have health insurance. I mean, it's hard to raise a family when you don't, when you you can't, you know, when they get sick, you can't care for them, or if something major happens. We already talked about the head brewer for Edge Brewing when she had that boil over. There was no insurance. Luckily, her husband had insurance, so she was covered under his claim or his uh, health insurance benefits. But uh, the brewery itself doesn't have any, so they don't offer that to their employees. So that's a huge benefit and uh, and uh, something that they can that the employee, the brewers, and the other employees can take that burden off of their shoulders by knowing that that if one of their loved ones or themselves get uh, get sick that they can be taken care of properly. I mean, I, that's that's a definitely huge benefit. All right, so now we talked about the benefits. Let's talk about a couple of the cons because there are a few cons. And the first one is uh, we mentioned the employee conduct that uh, now that they're under the big corporation of AB InBev that they have to adhere to corporate policies, and uh, now they're required to adhere to to a strict anti-drug policies. And despite Oregon's recent legalization of marijuana, all employees are subject to drug testing. And this is same same is true for all the other acquisitions that have happened around the, the country, including Washington with the Legion and in California, um, where you know some marijuana use is legal. Uh, those employees also have to adhere to uh, anti-drug, no drugs. So you can't be smoking that doobie, uh, you know, on your lunch break and then go brew beer. So um, is yeah, that a, I don't – I have a hard time uh, feeling bad for them for, no. for this one. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't either. <laughs> you know, it was the same with Washington's re, uh, legaliz- legalization. Um, that doesn't mean I can go stoned work now, you know. <laughs> It's the same. I mean, even though alcohol is legal, I can't go to work drunk either. I mean, it. That's just, you know, and it's more than anything. It's a safety thing, too. Yeah. I mean, breweries are a dangerous place. We. I mean, you just talked about one of the recent examples of that. I mean, uh, yeah. Um, I'm completely fine with this. I'd, I'd actually might put this in the pro category if they. <laughs> Having a problem before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know that it's fun. I, it's funny because one of the, I love Pike Brewing, and even two years ago, right when even before the the legalization of the marijuana uh, happened in Washington, we went on a tour, and it might have been three years ago now. I can't remember. It was probably three years ago before it all happened. We went on a tour of of Pike Brewing's brewery and everything, and the the great brew tour hostess. She was fantastic, but she was all about. Uh, you know, her marijuana and, and smoking a bowl and riding her bike stone back home and all of this. And we're, my wife and I are like, wow, this is quite the life, you know, and you just get, you know, get all high and, and, 
and brew beer. That's, that sounds like a great time. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that is something that is a common thread with a lot of craft breweries is the freedom. I know Lagunitas was big into smoking their, you know, weed at, at one point. I don't know if they still do it, but you know, at one point they were really into that. Um, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe that is a big craft beer thing. You, you, you have a beer, you smoke a joint, you run, relax and everything, everything's good. Uh, but it's not my thing for sure. So if, if, if John, if you ever open a craft brewery, don't worry. I'm not going to be smoking any weed, uh, in it. <laughs> All right. I'll, I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, another thing is, is customer perception is, is could be a con. And, uh, it's speaking of the brand in particular, uh, despite all the improvements in production, the limited edition beers, and the greater access to Tim Burrell's beer, the brewery will more than likely be avoided by those who value locally owned craft breweries. But uh, the author mentions uh, he witnessed during his recent visit to Tim Burrell's Pub in Bend that there doesn't appear to be a perception issue with many of the locals. That place was full. As far as you can do. the same thing can be said at the brew pub here in Boise. Um, I I haven't I, I still go just as often as I went before ABM Bev. I don't notice a single thing different. The beer is still fantastic, and I have a great time. And you know, they I still I have good. I, I mean, what else do I need? I have good beer and a fun time and good service. And they still put on great festivals and do a lot of community stuff. Nothing's changed in that whole aspect they were before. The only thing that's changed is they now are owned by a bigger corporation. But that's still they still have that small craft brewery feel. And they adhere to great quality beer. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't see that being a problem. Yeah, and then uh, for the employees themselves with, Dealing with uh, you know repercussion from the brand, even uh, you know after the news uh, broke of the acquisition, uh, a lot of independent writers uh, you know took to the internets and uh, in typical internet fashion um, were pretty harsh, uh, especially uh, people accusing the brewers, um, Jimmy Selford and Tanya Cornette of uh, selling out, um, which is odd to put that on the brewers who aren't in a position to actually sell the brewery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, one writer said, uh, I'm not planning to even taste their beers ever again, even if Tanya and Jimmy keep their jobs. And I think, I mean, we heard a lot of similar stuff and, mm-hmm. um, and the internet's a nice shield for people. Um, <laughs> I guarantee they wouldn't have said anything remotely like that if they were in the same room yeah. with them. But, uh, you know, this uh, kept a lot of folks, uh, you know, offline, you know, off their Facebook accounts, off, you know, everything from their normal uh, lives. Um, you know, it's harsh, you know, when everybody's coming down on you like that. Um, but, uh, you know, now, I, you know, almost a year, I guess, separated, right, at this point? Yeah. Um, you know, they're back to normal business, at least for now, we'll see if, if, if uh, you know, some of the quality slips start slipping or something. We may see a resurgence of, of some of that stuff. But uh, I, I think probably a lot of people will just 
are feel like they are trying to be viewed on the the supposed right side of the issue at the time, and most of them haven't even thought about it since then, mm-hmm. um, or are still drinking the beer and just prefer to not bring up the fact that they were so adamant about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the- it's disappointing people and act like that, but. Well, uh, it's their choice that, uh, you know, if they don't want to drink the beer ever again, just because of the fact that a, a corporation, a huge corporation owns it, uh, that's their choice. But there won't be a resurgence of the hate because they're not drinking it. So they don't have anything to ever say again. So I think they'll just be able to continue on without all the, the hatred. And the only time they're going to end up losing people is like myself or you, John, when, you know, if, if things start slipping and the beer, you know, isn't as uh, creative or as good as it, it used to be and you just get tired of it, then, yeah, we'll move on to something else. But our, we're not going to go and bash it and make a big scene. We'll just quietly move on and, and drink other things if that's what makes us happy. So I think that hopefully that hatred that went on early on is, is over and they won't have to worry about it. Uh, anymore so all right well that pretty much uh you know covers the majority of the article there's still more information in that article that uh you know i recommend you guys read to get the full story because john and i just kind of glanced over a a lot of the stuff so we wouldn't just rehash the whole article but uh i don't know the guy's name because i couldn't find his name anywhere on the blog Uh, i don't know if he's just meant to be anonymous or not? I mean, his his username is the pickled liver. So uh, that's if that's what his mother named him. I feel bad for him. Maybe his first name <laughs> is pickled and his last name is liver. But I don't know. But uh, the article's good, well written, um, great facts. Uh, I mean, he he did. You know, it's it's all. Fa- it seems to be fact checked. He has recent, you know sources of where he got the information from. So um, I believe it, and I liked it. And uh, I think, John, I think you enjoyed the article, too? Yes. Okay. So go out and check it out. Uh, You can find the link on our show notes. I'll have a link at the end of the show notes for you guys to click on and go directly uh, review it. All right. Well, you know, uh, we're going to try to keep this show short. So let's just roll right in to the point of the show where we can raise our glass and thank uh, our friends – or uh, just give them a good old cheers. John, who do you want to raise your glass to this week? Uh, so I've been talking about Extra Life. And so today I'm going to raise my glass to our, our buddy David, uh, Yojimbo2000. Uh, gave me a very generous donation uh, towards my Extra Life uh, fundraising. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, while I'm on the topic, even though I said I was going to stop talking about it, you know, we're, we're recording this early. Uh, Extra Life is in one week it's uh following saturday from when we're recording um and i'm sure that my team uh good for gaming is killing it mm-hmm. and uh, did a great job uh to close out this last week and um raise some money for a great cause uh we passed the six thousand dollar mark um pushing towards our current uh stretch goal of 7500 bucks and uh maybe we're on our way to ten thousand right now so that'd awesome. Be awesome that would but, be awesome uh, <laughs> uh yeah so that that's it for me um 
Uh, I'm actually kind of glad we're recording this early because I'd be super tired if we were doing this next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked out then. See, I, I planned it so you could fully enjoy your extra life gaming 24 hours of gaming extravaganza without having to worry about recording the next night. So worked out perfect. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Danny? Are you going to raise your glass too? Uh, you know what? I am going to raise a glass. I'm going to raise two glasses up to my buddies over at the Flexibose podcast, both Jason Lacey and Lucas Rose. They finally had a return of their battle of the beer, not only with one episode, but two. And this is a, this is a video, uh, segment that they do. It's about 17 to 20 minutes up long a piece. And they, they each bring a beer to the table and they battle it out to which beer of that style that they brought uh, is going to win. And uh, the two episodes that they brought to the table, one was an IPA episode and the other was a pumpkin beer episode. And both episodes were fantastic. And, uh, the IPA, I was especially looking forward to that one because I know how Lucas hates IPAs and I wanted to see, uh, you know, get a feeling for, you know, for what, uh, he was going to think of these beers. And Jason brought one of my favorite beers, the fresh squeezed IPA from the shoots. And, uh, Lucas brought the Sierra Nevada hop hunter. IPA. Both those beers are fantastic, but both of them are like opposite spectrums of the IPA range, in, in my opinion. And uh, I I loved Lucas's face when he took a sip of the fresh squeeze. He does not like grapefruit, and that fresh squeeze is all about that big grapefruit bitterness in there, and he just didn't like that citrus grapefruit bomb that he had. Go out there and check out Fluxtapose on YouTube. Search for Fluxtapose and uh, Battle the Beer. Watch both these episodes. Uh, fantastically done. I really enjoy it. I, I have to raise my glass because they do something that I could not do. I could not sit in front of a camera live tasting beers uh, and giving my opinion because I'm bad enough at it when I'm well, uh, off camera, just talking on a mic where no one can see me. So I, I had to raise my glass to that. Yeah, I uh, I missed the pumpkin beer one being posted, so I'm going to go look for that one. I did I did watch the IPA one. And, uh, yeah, that's another opportunity to uh, expand your um, uh, tasting language because uh, Lucas dropped uh, an amazing uh, unwashed armpit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, um, unwashed so. armpit. It was uh, awesome. Yeah, it was good. So good stuff, guys. I'm about to go watch the pumpkin one now. Yeah, so. yeah. The pu- and the pumpkin one was had a special because again, Lucas was having trouble describing a flavor, kind of like what I was having trouble describing of a flavor in that pumpkin beer, that pumpkin last episode. And uh, this, I think what he was trying to describe was the uh, effect of the ginger that had on the beer. It made it kind of a, a spicy, a peppery kind of spice but it was hard to put a, a finger on it and i think that's what he was trying to describe in this one because that's you know it, it can give a little bit of heat to it um it, just in the ginger itself and i was having the same trouble trying to describe that type of uh of a heat but not really heat like a spiciness uh in that pumpkin so who knows maybe pumpkin also has uh some ginger in there maybe that's what i was getting that little extra bitterness uh 
in there. But yeah, great shows. I will have a link to the YouTube in the show notes. So please click the link and check out the fantastic YouTube videos of Battle of the Beer and check out the Flexible's podcast. They, they do a really good job of just random geek culture, you know, discussions. And, uh, I like it. It's one of my favorite shows. And I, I just want to also thank all of our great listeners out there. We, I checked today and we broke the top 20 iTunes in iTunes, the top 20 craft beer podcasts. Uh, I'm very grateful. Thank you. You guys are, uh, you guys are rocking it. Without you guys, we would not be, uh, be having so much success. So, so just wanted to raise my glass to all of our great listeners. Absolutely. And of course, uh, I have to thank Open Forum Radio Network for supporting the show and for providing our hosting space at openforumradio.com. Go out, check out the other great podcasts you can find on the Open Forum Radio Network. And also, uh, I must uh, raise my glass, give a big old cheers to all the servicemen and women out there who are protecting our freedoms, uh, that are, you know, sacrificing their time and possibly their lives. Uh, for all of us, I just want to raise my glass to them. I want to remind you that uh, for next episode, episode 35, John? 35. <laughs> <that> right? 35. <laughs> that we will be doing our tasting notes segment on the Alaskan Brewing Imperial Red Ale. Uh, so go ahead, pick up a bottle, and taste along with us. We would love to have you, uh, you know, taste with us. That's what makes it show fun. And uh, if you would like to contact the show, you can reach us through email at tapthecraft at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at tapthecraft and leave comments on the show post at openforumradio.com or on Google+. Plus. Just search for Tap the Craft. And you can follow me personally on Twitter, Instagram, untapped, at Loose Screw, and on Google+, Plus at Denny Loose. And John, if our great listeners wanted to follow you on social media, how could they do that? On Twitter at Prime Brewing, Untapped, Prime WA, and I uh, write about homebrewing and beer over at homebrewengineer.com where there's actually some new stuff finally. Ooh, so. all right. I got to go visit. That sounds fantastic. All right. Well, hey, it is last call and it's time to bring the show to a close. We want to thank you for downloading and listening to the show, and we hope you were able to find something useful and interesting. And we welcome you to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio, or however you download your podcasts. And as a reminder, we release a show every two weeks. Now go out there and spread the good word of craft beer. Cheers. To adopt... John, I'm already having trouble. I can't even speak right now. I, I can't, can't even notice. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm, I'm tongue-tied. I got to just... Okay. Oh, let me start over. Oh, I just popped my back. Okay. And... Uh... <laughs> I'm having a rough night tonight, John, so... That's all right. I'm just going to dive into my part. <laughs> Go and dive in. Go dive in. <laughs>
Hey, it's Shaver from Open Forum Radio here. want to go ahead and take a second to say thank you for checking out this episode of Tap the Craft. And I would like to encourage each of you to check out some of the other shows that we have here on the Open Forum Radio Podcast Network. Uh, we'll start it off with the original Open Forum Radio, The 40 Cast, Prove Your Point, Geeks for the Win, I Recommend, My Peanut Gallery, The Married Gamers, Some Other Castle, Gamer Husbands Radio, The OMG Hour, Gamers Unscripted, Just Press Start, Platform Junkies, and Jobbers on the Mic. Hey, be cool. Give a great review to all the shows you like on iTunes, Podbay, Stitcher, everywhere you can give reviews. Review every show five times, and you are officially a good listener. Also, go ahead and visit openforumradio.com, links to all the different shows. Uh, like the Open Forum Radio Facebook page, and... Uh, Take a second, if you like playing games online and with people and are cool, to uh, go ahead and look at Zabari's Gamer Information Spreadsheet. Fully useful information that will do nothing but enhance your online gaming experience. All right, folks, take it easy. Have a good day.